Bill, Katie, and I are excited to begin a new sermon series today. Each week, we will highlight one of the group of extraordinary and faithful individuals whose faces shine through the windows in the Malat Chapel upstairs. The title of this sermon series is taken from the eulogy of today's subject, Mary McLeod Bethune. The eulogy was given by renowned theologian Howard Thurman, who said of Bethune that she had the remarkable ability to transform every hardship and every obstacle into a burning shaft of light. Please pray with me. Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of our heart be pleasing to you, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. The first three verses of Psalm 1 are the scripture that will guide us today. Happy are those who do not follow the advice of the wicked, or take the path that sinners tread, or sit in the seat of scoffers. But their delight is in the law of the Lord, and on God's law they meditate day and night. They are like trees planted by streams of water, which yield their fruit in its season, and their leaves do not wither. In all that they do, they prosper. Thanks be to God for God's holy word. This coming July, a statue of Mary McLeod Bethune carved from the same marble as Michelangelo's David, will be added to the collection of the National Statuary Hall in the U.S. Capitol. She will be just one of 10 women represented in that collection and the only African-American. The state of Florida chose Bethune to replace the Confederate General Edmund Kirby Smith and Florida's statue selection illustrates our nation's ongoing struggle to understand what it means to live in what historians have called the central paradox of American history. To live in a complexity of a country whose founders erected a system of freedom that is a beacon of hope for many and erected that structure a long time, alongside a brutal system of slavery. Dr. Bethune, whose long list of accomplishments includes being the only female founder of a historically black college, Bethune-Cookman University in Daytona, Florida, knew well this paradox of freedom and slavery. Born in 1875, she was the 15th of 17 children and the first born free. While visiting the house of her parents' former master, the young Mary picked up a book when the, when the white child made it clear that Mary could not read. It instilled in her a burning desire for education. And when a mission school opened just five miles down the road, Mary got her chance. What she learned in school, she came home and she taught to her brothers and sisters because the family could only afford to send one child from the cotton field to school. And then, thanks to a scholarship from a Quaker seamstress from Denver, Mary was able to attend Scotia Seminary in South Carolina and then went on to attend Moody Bible Institute here in Chicago in 1894. She was the only African-American student at Moody 
And you'll note that 1894 is just two years after the founding of Kenilworth Union Church. Later in Dr. Bethune's life, she reflected on the scholarship that opened a way for her. She said, to this day, my heart thrills with gratitude at the memory of that day when a poor dressmaker sewing for her daily bread heard my call and came to my assistance. Out of her scanty earnings, she invested in a life, in my life. And out of Mary's own desire to invest in the lives of black children who had little access to education in the post-Civil War South, Mrs. Bethune opened a school for girls in 1904 with just $1.50 and a dream. $1.50 is about $30 today, and she had five students. And the school continued to expand under her leadership, and today almost 3,000 students attend Bethune-Cookman. The young Mrs. Bethune had both a vision and the uncanny ability to persuade others to participate in it. Through the black workers who labored in the wealthy vacation homes of Daytona, Bethune began to network. She connected with James Gamble of Procter & Gamble and asked him to become a trustee of her dream. He was the first chairman of the board. Over the years, Dr. Bethune enlisted the support of an astounding list of well-known and wealthy families, including the Astors, the Guggenheims, and Marshall Field III. And as the school grew, Dr. Bethune promoted integration when the South was deeply segregated. In her school chapel, blacks and whites were seated together for Sunday temperance meetings or for student concerts. But even her vast and impressive list of connections could not shield her from racism. In 1917, Mary McLeod Bethune's efforts to organize voter registration angered the Klan, who came to her school in the night, torches flaring. Mary stood steadfast. The frightened children sang hymns, and impossibly, miraculously, the Klan left. Dr. Bethune was a champion of education, of human rights and democracy. Her impact and influence cannot be overstated. She grew steadily to the national stage, becoming the first African-American woman to hold a federal post when Franklin D. Roosevelt appointed her as the administrator to the Division of Negro Affairs under the National Youth Administration. At Roosevelt's second inauguration, she refused to be seated at the back, saying, it was vitally important for others to see her there as an example. Later in life, she carried President Roosevelt's cane. It was a gift from her dear friend, Eleanor Roosevelt. So I encourage you to pick up a copy of her biography at the library to learn more about her involvement in the integration of the Red Cross and the integration of the Women's Armed Services and her role as the Vice President of the NAACP. She eventually reached a level of international influence as the only African-American woman present at the 1945 conference in San Francisco where the United Nations was chartered. She accomplished more than many of us can imagine, and she did so in the early 1900s, a time when voting rights for women and for African-Americans were severely limited. Her fortitude and influence are inspirational. 
Mary McLeod Bethune died in 1955, just a few years before the Civil Rights Act was passed. Decades before the civil rights movement that we are more familiar with, she transformed obstacles into shafts of burning light. Burning shafts of light which shone brightly for Dr. Thurman, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., and countless others who have sought justice over more than a century of United States history. And Dr. Bethune is just one of four women featured on the Willett stained glass window in our Malat Chapel to represent fortitude and patience. Where did her impressive and formidable strength come from? In many of her writings and letters, especially her spiritual autobiography, Dr. Bethune makes it clear, God is the source of her strength. In spite of the fact that even in the church she had to fight against racism and segregation, notably as the delegate to the general conference that created the merger between the northern and southern Methodist churches, which had been split over slavery. Dr. Bethune's life embodies the truth of today's scripture, that those who delight in God's teachings, those who find them, their strength in God and plant themselves firmly by streams of living water will grow into strong trees. Strong trees that are able to withstand the toughest situations. Trees that bear fruit for generations to come. Like the Beatitudes that our third graders have just finished learning, Psalm 1 does not promise a life without struggle. Dr. Bethune knew struggle. But it does promise that hope and happiness can be found in the righteous path of looking beyond our own needs and working for the betterment of our communities, our nation, and our world. If you visit the Mary McLeod Bethune Memorial in Washington, D.C.'s Lincoln Park, you will see her handing a copy of her legacy to two young black children. She knew that creating a just society, one modeled after the kingdom of God, was work that stretched beyond just one lifetime and one person. She knew she was part of a story bigger than herself, God's story. As the United States entered World War II, she spoke on NBC's town meeting of the air, sharing her belief in democracy, even as she said, American, African Americans live too often in the terror of the lynch mob, are deprived too often of the constitutional right of suffrage, and are humiliated too often by the denial of civil liberties. Our faith, she said, our faith envisions a fundamental change. Violence, including racially motivated violence, voting rights issues, and civil liberties are, at the, are part of the heartbreaking realities of 2021. And those who selected the individuals that shine through the Malat Chapel windows had great foresight. Dr. Bowen wrote in a 1993 children's ministry newsletter that the hope was that these individuals would be people the children of Kenilworth Union Church would idealize and follow. The church's window choice prompted me to reflect on what was happening in the 1990s when these windows were chosen. At that time, I was a student at Northwestern, just down the road, studying social policy, beginning my field education with Chicago Public Schools, which you re may remember at the time had been labeled the worst schools in the nation. 
Alex Kotlowitz had just finished a heart-wrenching biography of two young boys living in Chicago's Henry Horner homes. He titled it, There Are No Children Here. And violence raged in 1992 and 93, in fact, so much so that the Chicago Tribune made the extraordinary choice to feature on the front page the photo and the story of every child killed in the city that year. As I reflected on the similarities between Dr. Bethune's era, the era these windows were chosen, and the era that we live in now, I see the same intertwined injustices in each. And yes, Dr. Bethune saw education as the balm that would heal many of the nation's wounds, but her vast work as an educator and her work for suffrage and her founding of a hospital and her international influence testify to the fact that she knew education was vitally important, but alone not enough to dismantle systemic racism. In 1937, Dr. Bethune and Eleanor Roosevelt did a short radio discussion on what they called America's imperfect democracy. Together, they named the need for people of all nations and creeds to understand one another that they might participate in the struggle for human rights and interracial understanding. That same need exists today, 84 years later, when the lives and livelihoods of people of color are at risk daily. In 1993, this congregation knew the complexity of the world we continue to live in today, and they, you, chose heroes that could illuminate God's path of justice for generations to come. Thank God for Dr. Bethune's life and character, that they are deep and rich enough to help us struggle with the paradox and complexity that we live in. And now, Dr. Bethune would say, the hour has come for us. Our faith calls us to, do whatever, to use whatever power and privilege God has entrusted us for the betterment of all people. If Dr. Bethune can create an institution of higher education from a $1.50 and a dream, surely we can invest in the lives of children today. If the child born of slaves can lead a federal department that was responsible for the education of hundreds of thousands of young people, Surely we can exercise our right to vote and ensure that right is granted to others. And if a black woman in 1917 can stand up to the Ku Klux Klan threatening her school, surely we can condemn the racism and the racist violence that we see today. Thanks be to God for the gift of our faith ancestors, for Dr. Bethune's enduring legacy, and for those who in 1993 had the vision for stained glass windows filled with shafts of light. Shafts of light who continue to illuminate the path of the righteous and point us toward God, the source of our strength and our salvation. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.